Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for Season 8, Episode 5. In this week's episode, I had a long conversation with Dr. Angie Ambers, who is a DNA expert who works with Dr. Henry Lee, who most of us know from the blood spatter world. Uh, I had a really interesting conversation. I, I love episodes like this one because you know, basically what you guys are hearing, you're coming along for the ride through the investigation. That is a conversation that I needed to have with Dr. Ambers. And so you know, we recorded it so you guys could be a part of what I'm doing when I'm trying to pick this thing apart. A lot of interesting information came out of the discussion and some information that I wasn't necessarily expecting. I, I definitely did not expect the conversation to go the way that it did, but it was interesting nonetheless. Uh, so we're going to get into your questions here in just a minute. But first, I want to point out that finally, we are back in the studio. Sitting across the table from me at a 45-degree angle at exactly six foot away from me is Mr. Zach Weaver. Hey, guys. And then sitting to my right, also at six feet away from me, if you know how to do geometry, you know exactly how that's possible, is our producer, editor, extraordinaire, Mr. Mike Bussing. Hey, everybody. So we are going to take a quick little break here for our ads, and then we're going to get going with your questions about Season 8, Episode 5. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From Something Else, The Marshall Project, and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Before we get into all of your questions, I just want to give a a summary, so to speak, about this episode and and what we learned here. Uh, and the reason for that is, you know, there were a couple of posts. I, one post in particular I saw on the fan page where somebody was like, "There's just so much going on here. I don't. Are we talking about a conspiracy?" And now we have possibly the um, Deborah's Deborah's sister, Brenda. Could she be a suspect? And there's just, there's a lot happening. So I, I just want to break down the highlights about what. I found very interesting within this episode. And, and the, the big thing is, the big takeaway for me regarding the DNA was two things. One, the fact that I did not realize that at the time that this investigation was happening, it is a known fact that the Fort Worth Police Crime Lab was was doing malpractice when it comes to DNA. They, 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 were, they had bad practices 
from my understanding, illegal practices when it comes to their DNA testing. They were shut down a year after this because of those bad practices. But so what we know is at the time, in 2001, they were doing their own DNA testing and they weren't doing it right. Then we found out from Dr. Ambers after I had sent her, I hadn't really looked or paid attention to the dates, but as someone who worked in that field, she she pointed me towards the dates as far as when testing was requested from the Orchid Cellmark lab, which was a private lab. So there's a couple issues. Why did they send it to a private lab when they had their own? Which, you know, I if, if it happened in November at the time of the crimes, you could say, well, maybe because it was one of their own and they're worried about a bias or any issue like that, they, they used a private lab. But th- that doesn't appear to be what happened. The, the evidence was not submitted for testing, all this blood evidence. The, the evidence that convicted Debbie Perringer was not submitted to ORCID for testing and the DNA requested for five months after the crime. Now, there are people have pointed out, well, yeah, there's always, there can be a backlog and it can take a while to get testing done. That's true. But when you have a very violent crime like this, it's a murder. It's a high profile, high profile case. It's one of their own. But regardless of any of that, any murder investigation, the first thing that's going to happen within days or weeks, definitely within a month, is they're going to know which evidence, what forensic evidence can we use to solve this crime. And that evidence is going to get sent off for testing right away. And in this case, in the Fort Worth Police Department, they had their own lab. So what we would expect is right away they would begin testing procedures or plan on doing testing procedures, submit it to the lab for testing right away. The fact that while they're trying to solve this case, they wait five months before they then send it to a private lab is problematic. And the reason for that is what it gives the appearance of, based on everything we know, is that the Fort Worth Police Crime Lab Probably, and again, this is not what we don't know this happened, but this was what concerned Dr. Ambers. And and the appearance of that is that likely the Fort Worth Police Crime Lab did their own DNA testing and either didn't get results or didn't get the results that they were looking for and then sent it off to another lab. Now, this is conspiracy tinfoil hat stuff that I'm talking about right now. So don't do not take this as fact. But just I'm just sharing with you my train of thought based on the information we got from Dr. Ambers and what we see in the DNA reports that we have. She mentioned dry labbing, which if you didn't quite catch it, the, the, in basic terms, dry labbing is when a DNA lab sends results, sends the desired results. You know, so Department X sends samples to Lab Y and tells Lab Y. I need these results to match person A. So then the lab just sends back results and says they match person A. It's called dry labbing. Really what it, it's, it's just, it's just falsifying evidence. It's cheating for the state. So this is something that Dr. Ambers was concerned about. So what it, what it, it, it looks like the concerns are that maybe the Fort Worth police might have focused in on Debbie. They might have tested the DNA, tested those the blood evidence, and found that it wasn't a match to her. And so then they said, well, let's pull another lab in and send them samples and have them give us the results we want. Again, conspiracy theory here. This is not fact. 
the concern is one of two things. There's the idea of dry labbing that Dr. Ambers mentioned. And then the other concern is because it was sent somewhere else and they have their own DNA lab, what could have been done, not saying it was done, but what could have been done because they had the Fort Worth lab, the police had blood samples from Debbie to compare to, that they could send a sample that they know is Debbie Perringer's blood to the other lab and told them and documented that as this was blood that was found on the crime scene. And then that lab, without knowing they were doing anything wrong, then could test that blood and say, that is a match to Debbie Perringer, not knowing that the sample they were sent was actually just a known sample of Deborah Perringer's. The reason that that becomes very concerning, that, that the whole procedure is an issue, is because of the fact that all the blood spots, besides the caller ID box where there was an unknown DNA profile, but the other five blood samples that were sent to the lab during this horrific bloody homicide where we're assuming this blood came from Deborah Perringer's finger during the commission of the crime, none of them contained any blood mixtures at all. And I don't know if I emphasize enough during the episode how concerning that is, but that's a big problem. It does one of two things. It either supports Deborah's statement that she just bled independently because she had cut her finger open and just got blood in different places on the crime scene, or that wasn't her blood at all in the crime scene and something fishy is going on with the lab. The fact that there was no mixture in, in Agnes and Lloyd's house is a concern, just in general. Presumably, that, that, that table where they pulled the blood or the door to the bedroom are places where the Courtney's had walked in and out many times, have touched that many times. Their epithelial cells, their DNA should be on that surface already. So you would expect if you swab that, that you would get, and it was Debbie's blood, you would get Debbie's blood and DNA profile as maybe a minor contributor from one of the Courtney's. We don't see that. And certainly, if the finger was cut during the commission of the crime, which we have the medical examiner's testimony, we have uh, Patrick Gass's testimony, everyone agrees that the killer would have been covered with blood. So how does someone cut their finger during the commission of this crime? All the sink drains were tested, not only visually inspected, but swabbed and tested. Nowhere in the crime scene did anybody clean blood off of themselves. So we know that didn't happen. And if there's a cut open, Say, let's say even the, the killer is wearing latex gloves or some kind of gloves. Somehow still a knife, then what, cuts through and cuts Deborah Perringer's finger. She's actively bleeding, but her hands would also be covered in the blood of the victims. So again, there absolutely should be, if the state's theory is correct, and Deborah Perringer is the one that killed Agnes and Lloyd Courtney, there should be a mixture of their blood and her blood in those in those samples. The fact that it is they are sole and we, and we look through the reports and it says there is a sole contributor of those blood samples and it is only Deborah Perringer, that indicates that either her story is true and she just bled on the scene not connected to the crime whatsoever, which supports the the information we have on the medical evidence and her alibi and and the neighbor testimony that she was gone by the time the crime was committed. So either that's the case or something nefarious was happening within the lab and there was either some dry labbing or someone took her blood and sent that in and labeled it as a sample from the crime scene because it just seems absolutely impossible to me that 
someone could commit this crime, cut their finger during the act of the crime, and then bleed in five locations on the crime scene. Two of them, by the way, were talking about the the doorway where uh, you know the state's theory is that the killer was pinning Agnes behind the door because there's blood on the mirror to the of the door and there's blood on the door frame right there. So this is act she's actively bleeding supposedly during the commission of the crime and somehow doesn't get anyone's blood but her own anywhere in, in those locations. It just does not seem possible, which is why one of the reasons why Dr. Ambers has a problem with the, the crime scene, even though there seems to be very clear DNA evidence that would convict Deborah Perringer, when you really look closely at it and really think about it, there's, there's a lot of problems with it. Now, as we, as we move forward, uh, what I need to do is I want to track, because the problem is here, and sorry, Zach, I'm not letting you into the conversation too much. I'm just kind of ranting, but I see you sitting there waiting patiently. So I want to talk to you about what you think about all this here in a second. But I want to get into, and that's where we're, we're going to be going here now, is looking into the investigation. I want to know when Deborah Perringer told the police that she bled on the crime scene that day. Because she definitely didn't do herself any favor, because all everything I just said is kind of null and void as far as the, any possibility of, uh, of nefarious action in the crime lab, because Debbie says, yes, I did. I was bleeding, and I did get blood over there. but. What I want to know is when did she say that? Because what I'm what, what I'm half expecting is to find out that she said she bled on the crime scene after she was told that her blood was on the crime scene, which could be suspect. But from what we know about human behavior and false confessions and everything we know about police manipulation, it would not surprise me whatsoever. When you know, so say Zach, it's you, and I say you know you were. We think you killed your parents, and you're like, no, I didn't. I have nothing to do with it. You didn't have anything to do with it. And then I come back and say, well, we found your blood in these locations on the crime scene for you to be like, oh, shit, and try to figure out, like, how could my blood be there? Mm -hmm. Or maybe even give a story about how your blood could be there because you know you didn't do it. And if they're telling you they know that your blood's there, just it just opens up a whole new Pandora box into this investigation. Step into the world of power, loyalty. And luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So, after my, whatever, 10-minute rant I just went on, your thoughts? I still have a really hard time just saying that just because her DNA was there and, and alone, that it wasn't her. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my theory is, and I'm, I don't know if I say a theory, but my problem with this is, is saying that there is all this blood and they're only finding her blood. And, and we would know that the killer, regardless if it's her or somebody else, would be injured 
then where is the other DNA? Well, we don't know they'd be injured. They, injured. they could have been wearing rubber or leather gloves. But we've talked about how there could be, you know, the skin cells under the fingernails, all these things. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. where is this other DNA? That's what I want to know. And I'm not, I'm not trying to avoid what you're saying. Right. What, what I'm saying is, like, there's more out there. Why do we not know where this is? Why do we not know about the other DNA? Why are we only finding Deborah's DNA? Why are we not right. finding anybody else's DNA? Yeah, and I want to be clear, too, that I'm not saying that I'm convinced of Deborah's innocence at this point. But definitely, I am not convinced that she's guilty either. Mm-hmm. And I and I have a hard time. I, once you said that they possibly sent her sample to the other lab, that makes more sense to me than them saying we didn't get the results we want. Now we're going to have an outside lab test it to give us the results because the outside lab has no reason to give them the results they want. Right, and that's the point: is why send it to the other? So, like, say mm. they te- if they tested it and they didn't get the results they wanted, then they just didn't get the results they wanted. Yeah, if that and it's a if if that's what happened. Mm-hmm. And then they send it to another lab. Why would they do that? Because they would expect to see the same results there. Yeah, and that lab has no reason to give them right unless they they did something on their end Mm -hmm. to make sure they got the results they wanted from from the private lab. But it seems really malicious at that point to do that, right? Well, I mean, their crime lab was shut down for ten years because of shit like that. Do do we have any idea? I mean, is that why they were shut down? Is there a reason why they're shut down? I haven't had a chance to to dig deeply into that. I'm hoping to have some more of the information by Sunday's episode. But yeah, all I know is that there were bad practices. Okay, that that they were doing and they got caught, and then they were shut down. I believe by the state. Mm-hmm. For a decade. So that, that's that's you know what I mean. There's so many things that could be with that too. And, and by all means, I'm not trying to defend them. They mm-hmm. they clearly were doing something wrong that got them shut down. But was right. it was it something minute that got them shut down, or was it malicious practices like this that got them shut down? Yeah, and I don't know the answer to that. Uh, you know, it's, and, and again, I want to point. I'm not accusing them of doing this. For me, I'm just looking at what could this mean. Mm-hmm. And that was the light bulb that went off to me because you know, like you said, they only found Debbie's DNA there. Where's anybody else's? Well, I've always thought. So let's say Deborah was a killer. Mm-hmm. It still doesn't make sense. Yeah, it seems like there would be more. Why is there just these these very clean, clear uh, samples of her blood in these couple locations, mm-hmm. but none of her blood on the victims, none of her skin cells on the victims, none of her hair on the victims, and this crazy violent attack? Yeah. But then she just goes through and drips blood through, you know, in places throughout the crime scene. Mm-hmm. That's just that's always bothered me. Like, how is that possible? That does seem really strange, and. and- like you said before, I, I definitely agree that the state's theory is wrong. What they presented at trial is wrong. Right. I think like, we've all approved that yeah. as far as as far as like how the crime went down. Mm-hmm. But you're right. I, I just don't I guess I don't see how it could be, you know what I mean? How there's not more blood, how there's not more DNA samples around. Right. And I guess, you know, how many DNA samples were tested? I think that's a big thing. You know, eighty over seventy five to eighty. And they all came back to either Agnes or Lloyd, except for those five. Except for those five. And those were just Debbie, no mixture. And that seems amazingly alarming to me, too, that there's that there's it only came back to those three people. Yeah, it's it's a big, big, big problem. Mm-hmm. You, well well, to, well I guess I I thought you were going somewhere else with that sentence. <laughs> Where <are> you at? <laughs> I think like it's an it's amazingly alarming to me. Yeah. That Deborah's DNA is only found in these five isolated places mm-hmm. with zero mixture. Like to to me, honestly, you know, and I'm not, I'm an Occam, Occam's razors guy, right? I'm simplest. That's why when I look at the case, I'm like, well, it looks like she did it. Yeah. I'll look at it. We'll investigate it. Maybe there's something else going on here, but it looks to me like her fucking DNA is there. Mm-hmm. 
But then, but but now I'm looking at like that doesn't to use the words of Colleen Barnett that doesn't make sense. It absolutely does not make any sense for her to have just her blood in, and it, and they're they're large swabs of blood too. Mm-hmm. So how why, why is it not dripped anywhere? You know, the, 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 these are not. If you look at the crime scene photos, like on the door and thing, it's not like there's a drop of blood. There's a big smudge of blood on the mirror. Uh, and of course, there's a whole issue that you don't see it in the in the in the video, mm-hmm. but it's hard to tell. It's, it's grainy, but um, you know, on the table, they, they, these are good smudges of blood. Why, of all these these blood that's out there, why do they say, well, we want to test that one for Deborah, test that one for Deborah, and test that one for Deborah? Mm-hmm. But it just like to me, as as crazy as this sounds, and, and people like, like and understand again, I want to make it 100 clear. I'm not telling you Deborah Parenter is, is is innocent. I'm not telling you this is what happened. But I'm just sharing with you my thought process right now. What makes the most sense? It makes the, everything on the crime scene, minus those five blood samples, indicates to me that the killer was wearing rubber gloves and probably something that was type of clothing that was covering their entire body, like coveralls, okay. you know, something, mm-hmm. something like that. Maybe even a hat or a mask, like they were using forensic countermeasures to not leave things because there's no finger Deborah's fingerprints aren't anywhere on the scene. Yeah, and see that's alarming. Even if she, even if she has nothing to do with this, mm-hmm. you, we know that she was there. You think they would still find her fingerprints? But they, but they found some fingerprints, which means that someone. It's not that someone like dusted off, uh, like cleaned the place of fingerprints. Mm-hmm. They just didn't find her fingerprints there. I think they, they I think they pulled eleven latents and they they found a couple match, but they were they were they matched to I believe Agnes and Lloyd. You know, so like the, the crime scene to me, if we forget those five DNA samples that came back. The crime scene to me looks as though someone came in prepared for murder. They came in wearing leather gloves, coveralls. You know, they they came in prepared to not leave evidence behind. But then, but then again, you have the the choice of weapon of the frying pans, which doesn't make a hell of a lot of yeah, sense. Yeah, and that's super alarming to me. Right. But then we also now, I, I think we're, we're we're in agreement that they brought their own knife, or at least they mm. took a knife with them. But it's like you know. That makes sense. Why their why why the killer's DNA is not mixed with the victims? Why their hair's not there? Why they're not fingerprints on the scene? But 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 it doesn't make sense that then there's just these here's just five little spots. Boop boom 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 boom. There's a very clean, non mixed, mm-hmm. perfect sample of of the killer's blood. It makes more sense to me that those blood smears came from transfer that it was Agnes's or Lloyd's blood. The only other thing that I wanted to ask you about, which is really not a whole lot to do with this, but is the the coup de gras wounds. Uh huh. And and both the coup, the coup de grassy wounds, the coup de grassy wounds, the coup, <laughs> right. yeah, the coup de gras wounds, and how they're on both bodies. Right. That seems very personal mm-hmm. to be on both bodies. Sure. And, and you and you said it a couple times, and maybe I missed this, and I tried to listen. You you said a couple times that they were they were slow incisions well that's what the me said that's what the me said right because i that's what I, I was i was curious as how we know that based on the look of it or i think it had to do with the depth and length of the wounds okay so like it's a long wound that goes from like here to here mm-hmm. that wasn't very deep and for whatever reason uh dr pirwani looked at it and said it looks like that you know that wasn't like through the heat of an attack a quick slash mm-hmm. you know if it, because of probably angle of the like the neck too yeah, where it's not straight, so it went from here all the way around to here. Okay, that 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 would seem that the person was not moving in order for that to happen. Okay, but that but again, that's not my opinion. That's his opinion about it. I don't 
Yeah, I, that's, I just want to know other. where that came from as far as where mm-hmm. they had, they called it that or how they came to that. Yeah, and, and he was the one that, that said that it was a they were they called them coup de grace ones, basically a mercy killing at the end of you know mm-hmm. the end of attack to make sure someone is was dead. But that that is the there's long a longer rant than I intended to to go on. But that's that's why I, I just wanted to make very clear where my head's at with this. That I'm 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 perplexed. I definitely am open to more things. I need to get down to Fort Worth. I need to go to the crime. It, it's so difficult right now trying to communicate, trying to get files. I definitely did not get a complete file. I was very happy with all of my open records requests that they all responded quickly and got me what I asked for quickly. But as I'm going through it, like one thing that I'm a big thing that I'm lacking is the offense report. There should be one big police report that should be pages and pages and pages long. They go that it should contain the crime scene investigation, the the follow up investigations, the reports that Patrick Gass is is referencing while in trial. I don't have any of those documents, and so what what I need to do is go to Fort Worth, go to the evidence room. I need to and I'm going to be specifically requesting any reports from the Fort Worth Crime Lab to see if they did perform testing before it was sent to Orchid Cell Mark because I just don't have any of that. So speaking of documents, before we move on, did you have the appropriate documents that Dr. Ambers wanted for the blood test? No, she was she was 100% right. As she said, in 100% of the cases, mm-hmm. that's what they have. That's what I had were the summary report, which to me looked very detailed because mm-hmm. there's like an Excel spreadsheet that lists all the loci or the the alleles. You know, so, so it's not just like this matched this person. It's like this ring had profile 10-17 and this allele loci, loci it's this, this, it's all that. Mm-hmm. But what she wants to see is electric, not electropherograms, which show the actual the actual test that was done to mm-hmm. get those results. They, they wouldn't look like anything to you or I, right? Yeah, they would look like sound waves. You so know, looks, or like so that. it sounds like we have some work to do. Yeah, and, and on that note, I have reached out to Allison Clayton because they will not release that information to me. And so Al, I, I told Allison we need those documents, so she's going to be working on filing requests with 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 the lab to try to get that information, and I'm going to work on filing requests with the Fort Worth Police Department for any and all um, possibility that they did any testing within their laboratory before it was sent to Orchid Cell Mark. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Todos los sándwiches tienen pan. Las hamburguesas también. Pero estos panes, calientes, dorados, suaves y hechos al vapor, estos son especiales. Reservados para lo mejor de lo mejor. El filet of fish y tú. En ese orden. Y llévate dos deliciosos filet fish con un patty crujiente de pescado, queso y salsa tártara de McDonald's por $6. dólares. Solo por tiempo limitado, precio y participación pueden variar. No puede ser combinada con ninguna otra oferta. Producto individual a precio regular. Para pa pa pa. All right, Bob, I have a bunch of questions here, but you've already answered most of them. I've just got a couple left here. Gary says, in regards to the neighbor being asked if it was Agnes's house, if that person was involved and this was a revenge attack on Smitty, wouldn't they be asking if it was Smitty's house? Could Agnes have been the target? Yeah, I mean, I still haven't. The note is, I, I maintain that the note is probably a forensic countermeasure. I don't think that 
you, know, you think about it. No, nobody's going to write a note. It's not TV. Nobody's going to write a note saying, hey, this is who did it. Come find me. You know, the, you know the, the purpose of the note obviously wasn't for the victims. It was for the people. And, and, and unless, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, one one hypothesis is that the note was typed and printed somewhere else. It was folded up and brought to the crime scene because the intention. You know, now I'm, I'm thinking out loud here as I'm going, but it, it, it's likely be, if we look at the fact that someone who fit the description matched the description. That was given by the backyard neighbor who saw the man in the backyard. Said a very tall, dark-haired man. Agnes said she saw a very tall, dark-haired man. Uh, you know, was it a week or two before the the murders? They came over and asked if that was Agnes's house. So it's it's possible that if Agnes was the target, she could have been the target to get revenge on Smitty. So so if we look at let let's say that note was was written beforehand was typed up and put in somebody's pocket. And the plan was, in order to get back at Smitty, they were going to go into the house when he wasn't home and kill his wife and leave that note stuck on her for him to find. But then they come home and he's there too, and they end up killing both of them. It just seems so highly improbable to me that it's a revenge kill for that. Because mm-hmm. why would you go after the fingerprint analyst? 100% agree with you. You know what I mean? Like if there's so many other people in line that you would go for, right. in my opinion, first. Right. Or if if it was a revenge kill and he was going for this, why wasn't there, other, you know, wouldn't he go for others too? Right. You know, unless, unless whatever case it is that the fingerprint was so damning to his case that that, that locked up that individual. I, w- but, I, w- I wonder how it could fit, if it's possible that it could fit in with the the crime lab problems. Was it just DNA testing or was part of the issues of the crime lab fingerprint too? That could be. You know, and maybe there was something, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe somebody got convicted of something where they know they weren't there. Yeah. That's the only thing that I could find, which again, I agree with you, by the way, for the record, but just, you know, spitballing a scenario here, you know, what if someone truly was innocent, had never been to a house where Mm -hmm. a crime was committed? And then they end up getting convicted because the fingerprint analyst says, I found his fingerprints at the crime scene. Mm-hmm. Now, the only pe- person that knows that that's not what happened is the person who got convicted, right? Mm-hmm. If they know for a fact they've never been to that place, they know that that guy pulled some shit. That's true. You that's know? true. So I'm not saying that's what happened, but it's it's, it's a possibility. Yeah, it would have to be whatever whatever that person went for it would have to be a super damning piece of evidence right for you know, like the only well like look look at like Deborah Perringer yeah with the DNA there's no evidence whatsoever she committed this crime except the DNA results mm-hmm. you know so so let's, you know, let's look at that parallel let's say Deborah Perringer is innocent mm-hmm. and let's say she didn't bleed all over the crime scene that you know like, like, if she knows I didn't none of that happened and then they come back and say we have your blood all over the crime scene who's she going to be mad at Probably the person that said that her blood was on the crime scene. That's true. You know, so it, it, it's possible. That is a valid point. Yeah. But again, these are all just just hypothetical, obviously, scenarios. We don't know any of this happened. We're just just really, as you said, thinking out loud here. But uh, the other other option is that Agnes was the target. And the, the note was, as I said, a forensic countermeasure to point toward people the wrong direction. But then that person did a lot of homework, mm-hmm. you know, to know what. But well. Or then again, did they do? They know Smitty's a cop or was a cop. Mm-hmm. 
but they don't. Maybe they don't know to what capacity. That is true because it doesn't necessarily say that it has anything to do with fingerprints. Doesn't say anything about fingerprints. That's and a actually, good point. That that makes more sense to me. If all they know about him was that he's a cop, and it's like, oh, well, I'll make him look for somebody he convicted, mm-hmm. and just say, hey, look what I learned in prison, because they don't know that he works in a lab as a fingerprint analyst. That makes a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so to answer the question, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I am, I am baffled by the case, as I've mentioned many times. I'm getting a better grip on the case, but I am becoming more and more intrigued, and in, I don't know if excited is the right word, but that's the word I'm going to choose. For, about this case than I ever thought I would be like, I, like I, I, every day I'm digging through documents and paperwork and looking at just like trying to figure this thing out because it's looking more to me like this puzzle can be put back together. And, and it, the minute, you know, the phases we go through in all these investigations in every episode is we initially investigate the investigation to determine if a wrongful conviction actually occurred. And I'll be hundred percent honest with you. When I started this one, I was thinking, this may be a short season. We may find out that, no, the evidence points to Debbie and a wrongful conviction did not occur. And then we, at that point, we would say, look, I think she's guilty. We move on to the next case. I did not expect five weeks in to be thinking like, it, it, it now to me, I will not say that she's innocent. I don't know that. But I will, I, I will say that it looks to me like it, at this point that it is pretty unlikely that Deborah had anything to do with this. And, and, and that's because pieces of not the crime scene puzzle, but a different puzzle are fitting together. Okay, so we, we, we've, we believe we've done a pretty good job of narrowing down the, the time of death. And we know when Deborah left. So all of a sudden it's like, okay, so if you look at this puzzle, where was Deborah at this point? And when did the crimes occur? Well, these can't be, she couldn't have been there. And then like, okay, but we know they happened this time. Oh, and the neighbor in the backyard saw a man in their backyard at the times of the murder and the neighbor across the street saw a guy that also fits that same description a week before this, you know, there's just, and then the one thing that I thought tied Deborah to it was the DNA samples. Now I don't know if we can trust those samples. I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm getting more and more intrigued by this case every day. Desiree says this episode was so interesting. Also on snapped, Gas said the receipt showed she left the store at 11.20 a.m., so they had the receipt at some point. What happened to it? That's a good question. I know they have it. I, I know we, we you know, it's, it's photographed on the crime scene. It was noted in Gas's testimony that it was collected. We, I have the, I can, I can see the evidence collection log. I know it was collected. I just don't have a copy of it. And he, it, in his testimony, he just said, oh, I have to look at my report. And they moved on. And never looked at his, never came back to it. And I don't have his report. I, I know it exists. Eleven twenty would be really interesting uh, if that's when Agnes came back, because that that throws off what pretty much everybody else has said. You know that because it, it, it seemed like a trial they landed on. That would be very uh, nefarious. I don't know if it was the right word on the prosecutor's side if they did in fact have that. Know that Agnes was alive at eleven twenty because they certainly presented a trial that. She was home by around 10. But uh, that's, again, another reason why I just need to go to Fort Worth. I want to go there and request access to go to the district clerk and the police department and view the evidence and, and, and try to fill in the gaps that we're missing right now. Okay, Bob, we're running a little long here. So we've got one more question for you. This one's from Ashley. If the prosecution only turned over the summary reports, 
from the DNA analysis and not the actual reports, is that a Brady violation? Would they have also been required to turn over all of the testing results from the county crime lab, assuming it may not have been a match? Would it be a Brady violation if they didn't disclose that the county lab conducted any tests? It's a great question, and it's a, it's a complex answer. So, the, so first of all, uh, is it a Brady violation if they only turn over the summer reports? No. That is, that, that's common practice. Uh, it would, it, I think it would be on the defense attorney to, to request the raw data. And it's not common, as Dr. Amber said, in 100% of the consultation cases where she's been brought on as a DNA expert, they did not have that data already. So it, it, it's pretty common for that not to be corrected. Uh, it's because, you know, you have to be a DNA analyst to be able to read it and know what it's saying. However, on the other side of that, if it is determined or discovered that there was DNA testing done at the Fort Worth Police Crime Lab, and if those results were not inculpatory or exculpatory, and if those results were not turned over to the defense, then that would absolutely be a Brady violation. So in order to be a Brady violation, it has to be proven that it would be material, exculpatory, and withheld from the defense. So or not turned over to the defense in discovery. So let's say, as a hypothetical, the spot on the table. that was te- Let's say that was tested at the Fort Worth Crime Lab, and that came back as a match to Lloyd. And then it was sent to Selmark, and somehow, they, even if it was legit, even if they just screwed it up at Fort Worth, they sent it to Selmark, and Selmark comes back and says, that is a match to Debbie. And then in Discovery, they only turn over the results from Selmark, where it says it's Debbie, and they don't turn over to the prosecution or to the defense that there was a previous test done that excluded Deborah. That's a massive, that's not just a little Brady violation, that's a massive Brady violation. Like, like, like that's conspiracy-level Brady violation. So, but where we're at right now, because of the incomplete files that we have, one, we don't know if there was testing done at the Fort Worth Crime Lab. It seems most likely that there would have been. It seems very unreasonable to think that they would wait for five months to even send out testing when they had their own lab. But we don't know that they did any testing. We don't know what the results from that testing were if they did the testing, and we don't know if the results from that testing was turned over to the defense. So these are questions that we have to answer. If indeed a wrongful conviction occurred, that is a path to getting the conviction overturned because that is a clear Brady violation. And to be honest, even if a wrongful conviction didn't occur, we cannot stand by and allow prosecutors and police departments to cheat. We can't have an ends justifies the means mentality when it comes to our criminal justice system. That's how we get into the messes that we get into. So even if Deborah Perringer is guilty, but in order to get their conviction, they cheated her, then she did not get a fair trial and she would deserve a new trial. And so the, the, these are the types of things that we fight for. And, and along those lines, and you said the last question, so as we're wrapping things up, I do want to direct you guys to, if anyone is interested, and if you're not, don't worry about it, but if you're interested in a lot of what's going on in the world right now, um, everything from what happened in Minneapolis with, with George Floyd to the reaction to that and, and you know the uprising of the American citizens trying to fight back against some of the things that are going on and what's happening with the Black Lives Matter movement, this week, it just dropped two days ago on Wednesday, Zach and I and our other podcast, the Bob and Weave podcast, we interviewed an organizer from the Black Lives Matter South Bend, Indiana chapter. 
here in the studio on Bob and Weave. It's a really cool conversation. You know, we're you know in, in an effort to try to figure out what we can do to help. Uh, we determined that one thing we can do is to use our platform to allow the Black Lives Matter movement to have a voice and to educate people on what they stand for. So however you fall in, in, in any of that, we wanted to at least give the opportunity for someone from Black Lives Matter that is an official organizer with the organization to, to share their thoughts, share their, their purpose, their goals. Uh, we talked about everything from you know what Black Lives Matter actually means to what defund the police means. Uh, so if that's something you're interested in, I would definitely recommend going to the Bob and Weave podcast. You can do that just wherever you get your podcast. Look for episode 28. It's called Black Lives Matter. Or we also, on Bob and Weave, all of our episodes are video as well, and they're on YouTube. So you can go to the Bob and Weave podcast YouTube channel. Again, it's episode 28, titled Black Lives Matter. Uh, so I just wanted to put that out there for you guys. If you're interested, I just I want to make sure that we're doing our part to at least use our platform to help get the word out. So I wanted to make sure you guys know that information is out and available to you. And I think that I think it was a great conversation and it, it was highly educational for me and hopefully will be for you too. No, I have to agree. That conversation was it was a great conversation. It was really open and I learned a lot too. So as the investigation into the Courtney's murder goes on and it continues to bring up more and more questions, where do we go from here? So the, the next place I'm going that'll be this Sunday, and I'm just getting into this phase, so I don't know exactly what Sunday's episode is going to look like yet. But my intention now is to start looking at the investigation. So we've looked at the crime scene. We've looked at the forensics. We've looked at the medical evidence. We've discussed in depth the DNA evidence. So now what I want to know is how did the detectives that investigated this case that ultimately arrested Deborah Perringer, how did they use that information to build their case that ultimately resulted in that arrest? So what we're going to begin doing this week, I don't think we'll probably get through all of it this week, but I'm going to start to go through the detectives' testimonies and reports and and look deeper into how this investigation progressed. So that's what we'll be doing starting this Sunday. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing, and all music for the show was created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Our follow-up logo was created by Zach Weaver, and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, Truth and Justice Pod where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Charlena White, Kaywood Yamnick, Ginger Viola, Edith Swanneck, Lindsay Pease, and Jen Reese in Candela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels. 
For just $5 per month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes videos of the creation of our Friday follow-up episodes that include 10 to 30 minutes of pre-show bonus chat. Other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found at BobRuffTruth. Mike can be found at MurbGaming, M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G. And Zach can be found at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, and tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Mike Bussing. This has been Truth and Justice. Truth and Justice.